I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. This episode of Live Wire is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving or cleaning, even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. And auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. From PRI Public Radio International, it's... Wow. Thank you, Jason Rouse. Thank you, everybody here at Lincoln Hall. Welcome to Livewire Radio. Our theme this hour is second to none because we are in Chicago and it is our first show here. And as a lot of people know, Chicago is occasionally referred to as the second city. As many of the people in this room and as Chicagoans probably know, that term, the second city, was kind of a vicious burn put on the city of Chicago back when that name was kind of coined. It was back in the 1950s. There was a guy named A.J. Liebling, who was a writer for The New Yorker. He came and he lived here in Chicago for like a year, and he did not fall in love with the city. So he wrote a book called Chicago, The Second City. And in that book, he detailed all the things about Chicago that he didn't love. And there was really not much about the city that worked for him. For instance, the food. He thought, he's been dead for years, so I don't know if he can hear you, but if you want to get out of your system, that's totally fine. He, he did not love the food, and, and actually what I think he was more annoyed by was he felt like the people who ran the restaurants in Chicago in order to cover up for the fact that the food wasn't great was that they had too much entertainment going on in the restaurants where you were trying to eat. This is actually, I've been reading this book this week. This is what he wrote. He said he went somewhere to try to get a hamburger and quote, six cowboy violinists in fringed pants playing tales from the Vienna woods came to my table. 
Side note, that sounds like an awesome restaurant. And I would totally go there if it was still open in Chicago. He did not think that the live entertainment scene in Chicago was so great. He didn't like uh, the theater here. He didn't think that the live music was so great. He called it, quote, uh, outclassed by Oslo. Like Norway. Which kind of sounds like he's taking a shot at both places, Chicago and Norway, which seems unnecessary. I don't know what the Norwegians ever did to this guy, but maybe the most surprising thing was he thought there was a problem with the sports in Chicago. In particular, wait for it, the sports fans. He thought Chicago sports fans, particularly White Sox and Cubs fans, were not excited enough about their teams. He called them apathetic. Yeah. I don't, look, look, I wasn't here. I don't know what Chicago was like in the 1950s, but I can tell you what it is like now, okay? As far as the food goes, some of the best restaurants in the world are here in Chicago. For example, we have Rick Bayless coming out here in a few minutes. One of the top chefs in America has a number of amazing restaurants right here in Chicago. When it comes to the theater, Chicago is second to none. You have Steppenwolf is here. A ton of independent theater uh, productions that put out amazing stuff. And by the way, Second City, which Second City is improv and comedy troupe that basically took this name, Second City, that was supposed to be a burn on Chicago. They reappropriated it. And I looked this up today. Every single funny person in America over the last 50 years graduated from Second City. Every single person. This is a real fact. Which brings me to the third thing that Liebling was not a fan of, Chicago sports. I just got into town, but my understanding of Chicago sports is that it's going pretty good for you right now. The, the Chicago Cubs won the World Series. Um, I didn't know if you guys had heard about that because it wasn't covered very much in the media. This is how rabid Chicago sports fans are. The Cubs won the World Series. The curse is broken, right? Everything is beautiful again. Steve Bartman is still in hiding. Right? There is no reason to be mad at this guy. And yet, a dude who may or may not have nicked the side of a foul ball 14 years ago is in the witness protection program in Chicago. That is not an apathetic fan base, as far as I can tell. One other thing, by the way, that I noticed today that makes Chicago a world-class city. When you go outside, it smells like chocolate. And I don't mean that figuratively. I mean it literally smells like chocolate outside. There is a Twitter feed and a blog set up to tracking where the smell from the chocolate factory is going in Chicago. So when you go outside, you can walk in the direction of the delicious chocolate wind that is blowing your way. That is some Gene Wilder, Willy Wonka, magical candy stuff. My point on all this, people, is that we could not be more excited to be here in Chicago, Illinois, doing our radio show. Let's get our first guest out here. 
Our next guest is second to none when it comes to cooking, in particular, Mexican food. Rick Bayless is the chef behind a number of amazing restaurants here in Chicago, including Frontera Grill and Topo Labampo, which was awarded a Michelin star. Rick's won Top Chef Masters, has been a James Beard Chef of the Year, and was even awarded something called the Order of the Aztec Eagle by the Mexican government, which we can, we can only assume means he somehow gets free tacos for life. Please welcome Rick Bayless to Livewire. I want to start off with a little of the backstory of you okay. uh, finding your interest in cooking because you grew up a white guy in Oklahoma, not the Makins you would think of one of the most respected Mexican <laughs> food chefs. And I like the way the you said the Makins there. I was trying to Oklahoma <laughs> it up for you. You were definitely Wanted doing you to it. be able to follow what I was saying. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you. So how did you get interested in, in Mexican food? Uh, you know what? I fell in love with um, the idea of going to another culture. I grew up in a middle class restaurant family, had almost no time to travel, certainly not very much money to do it. And I convinced my family that uh, we should go on a vacation to Mexico City when I was 14 years old. And it was because I always had dreamed when I was a kid of being able to travel to another country. And I figured that that was about as far away from home as I would ever get. I had um, studied one year of junior high Spanish and figured that I could get along with anyone. And I planned the trip and I went there. But the, the crazy thing was that when I got to Mexico City, um, it felt like I had come home. And um, that for me was a feeling I will never forget. And then still when I arrive there, it has that feeling for me that it's the right place for me. So then years later, you and your wife moved to Mexico. We did. And you learned Spanish while you were there? Or were you already no, actually, at that my point? undergrad major in college was in Spanish language, literature, and Latin American studies. Wow. So uh, you didn't go to a culinary school? You went to I a... Didn't. No, um, I, I was super interested in the cuisine of Mexico. And still to this day, it's hard to find any classes in it. Even in the best culinary schools, they'll, they'll give a little bit in it. Maybe you'll do a couple of days in it, but not enough to really understand the cuisine. So... Um, I learned to cook Mexican food from street vendors and marketplace cooks. And that was all the food I could afford. So when, when I moved to Mexico, I learned from those people. <laughs> it was, I loved it. Um, I, I want to jump a little bit forward in your career to the part where you have restaurants in airports. <laughs> because the see i always get the biggest applauses for the airport restaurants and and, and let me tell you rick it is with good reason because <laughs> i literally schedule my travel around being able to go to the frontera walk-up location at o'hare airport when here in i die my tombstone will say he made good food in an airport yeah but that's not easy right because uh, as i understand it there are a lot of security procedures because you guys are inside the wire yeah yeah you know, like, i can't bring my shampoo to that restaurant no. they confiscated it long before that it's, and yet the food is crazy the food's incredible how do you accomplish that no um, one else in that airport God love them, is able to make food like what you're making back then. Well, be because uh, the city really wanted us to have an outpost there, because a lot of people travel through O'Hare, but they don't come into the city, so they would probably never get a chance to taste our food. And the, the city folks kept coming and saying, no, we really want you in the airport. And I finally said, well, the only way you're going to get me in the airport is if I can have the ingredients that I need to cook with. 
So and you got like a special security clearance for refried yeah. beans. <laughs> sort of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll tell you, whatever unholy deal you had to make with the TSA, <laughs> I am so thankful for it, Rick, because it's incredible what you guys are doing over there. Thank you. Thank we you. have Rick Bayless here on Livewire, chef of a number of amazing restaurants here in Chicago, a TV host, James Beard Award winner. Uh, we got to take a very short break, but we will be back in just a moment from Lincoln Hall in Chicago. This is Livewire from PRI. Hey, it's Luke. I just wanted to remind you, in case somehow you didn't know, that Livewire is made possible by the generous and amazing League of Extraordinary Listeners. Now, how does someone join this amazing league? It's actually easier than you might think. You go to livewireradio.org, you go to the membership section, you decide on a a monthly donation or even just a one-time donation that feels comfortable for you Uh, You take a look at all of the amazing thank you gifts that we have for you that we will mail to you for your generous support of Livewire. You click a couple of buttons on the internet. Who doesn't do that every single day? And you're done. You are proudly a member of the League of Extraordinary Listeners, and what you know is that you are a huge part of what makes Livewire possible. That's right. We could not do this without the folks who donate to the show each and every month. So if you would like to be a part of that, Please go to LiveWireRadio.org right now and help us out. Welcome back to LiveWire Radio, coming to you this week from Chicago. We've got Chef Rick Bayless here. You've been so successful in your career that now it seems like your job as it relates to making food is different than it was when you were working in the kitchen. Do you like the fact that now you're a person who really influences food policy and the way that people think about, in particular, Mexican cuisine here in the U.S.? I love the place that I'm at right now in my career. And it's not like that I'm actually on the line cooking uh, one plate of food after another. I'm instead working with all the chefs that are creating that food. I'm a very physical person, and I love the day-to-day stuff in the kitchen. But I had to realize for myself at one point that if I was making just the food in one station in my restaurant, that I wasn't even seeing all the rest of the food that was coming out of the kitchen. I needed to consider myself more like the, the conductor of an orchestra or something like that. And I had to move out in front of the line. Now we have several restaurants, so I'm just sort of in and out of them all, all day long. So how do you sort of quality control that stuff? Do you work through a list of different foods to try at every restaurant on some kind of a like schedule so you can make sure you know what's happening? It's kind of funny, but most people don't believe this, but my wife and I eat in our restaurants as customers every single day of the week. I think they know it's you. (laughs) They do know it's me, but I figure out if there's something wrong with the dish they serve me, that's the best that they can do. So we got some real problems. And so that's the thing that gives me the right perspective because I want them to look at every dish as though they were the customer going to get that dish. They've come in from the front door and they've sat down and they've ordered this dish and that's what they're going to get. I didn't know until this week when I was reading up on you that your brother is the sportscaster Skip Bayless. (laughs) Who I'm is, glad. See, look at the, round, is, the rousing can, applause. Well, here. here's the it's thing. Like, all right, what is it? <laughs> he is a he is a he is a very well known now TV sports commentator who has a show where he's commonly arguing about. Arguing very, is, I think, the right word for that. <laughs> 
And there are some people that love your brother, Skip Bayless, and there are other people who maybe don't love him. I'm curious, do you have a story about your brother for the people who maybe don't love him that will humanize him to them? There, there I think in Wikipedia someplace it says that there was a switch at birth and uh, (laughs) that he may have ended up in the wrong family. I don't, I don't, I don't know. We could not have been more different as siblings. He did nothing but sports. I did nothing but food and theater. And we just never, ever crossed paths. Yeah, it uh, it was, uh, we weren't close as kids. Wow. No. People don't usually admit to that, Rick. I know. (laughs) But I feel very confessional tonight. That's what we aim for on this show. Rick Bayless, (laughs) ladies and gentlemen. All right, Rick, you are known for having amazing restaurants here in Chicago, but we were wondering how deep your knowledge of some of this town's weirder culinary options are. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. So we have put together a little quiz for you that we're calling Real Dish or We Wish. Real Dish or We Wish, you decide. This is a list of food items that can be had here in Chicago, okay? Mm -hmm. Some of them are real food items that exist. Some of them are... Just from our fantasy life. Is this Rick Bayless, noted chef, is this a real food item that you can get here in Chicago? Roasted pig face. Real dish. You are absolutely right. That is a real dish you can have. It is pig face patties. It is served with crispy potato sticks, a sunny side up egg, and red wine maple gastrique. Uh, It is available at the Girl and the Goat in West Town. I've actually eaten it there. But you, you, you're not going too deep here. Listen, Rick. I kind of think he and Skip may be related. <laughs> yeah, that's. <laughs> Didn't take very long. Yeah. The roasted pig face doesn't fall far from the tree, Rick. All right, well, here's the next one. Real dish or we wish, Rick Bayless. Eyeball tacos. I've actually eaten them, okay? So Here in Chicago. No, not in Chicago. So I don't Hopefully I'm on a gonna desert say, island. I'm going to say after the I'm other guy say died. We, we wish, we wish. Here in Chicago, you can get them actually. So if you say we wish, you're technically wrong. I should have gone out on a limb on that one. They have eyeball tacos here made from goat eyes available at Maxwell Street Market in the South Loop of Chicago. You can also get tacos made from brains, of course, and cheek meat and also do the whole head sampling. Uh, What's the what's the trick to eyeball tacos? How do you really get the essence Of the eyeball brought out in the eyeball taco, Rick Bayless. You know, the really crazy thing about eyeball tacos when you eat them is the way that they, you're eating them. They, <laughs> I'm going past that. All they right. pop the way they pop in your mouth when you eat them. You, you're, it's really true, people. It's really true. I had not even <laughs> considered that implication. All right. How about this real dish or we wish? Okay. The Capone, a foot-long Vienna sausage stuffed with a mozzarella stick served inside of a chicken parmesan sandwich. I think it's a real dish. 
It seems like it would be in the world we live in, but no, we oh, made that up. Oh, man. But don't I'm you think the two. world is a better place that that doesn't I exist? I do, I do, but I could imagine somebody making it. It's what do you think, be. Rick, a uh, sort of final question here, what do you think about some of this stunt food when it's putting this inside of this, inside of this, or places where you, it's free if you can eat all of it? Right. Does that it not, may, not it appeal may. to you as a person who takes very careful thought It doesn't appeal to me, but food? it makes such good copy for the journalists. And so, um, you know, that's why people do it. You like to eat traditional classic meals like eyeball tacos. I do. <laughs> exactly. Well, we say that we do the whole animal kind of cooking, so you'll find out if something pops. <laughs> Rick yeah, Bayless, so well, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much. This week's show is brought to you in part by Whole Foods Market, providing complete meals for the holidays. Whether it's organic turkey, vegan meals, or a cheese platter, Whole Foods feels time is better spent around the table, not wasted around the shopping cart. More info at WholeFoodsMarket.com. This is Livewire Radio. We're coming to you from Chicago this week. Our theme is second to none. And the only thing our next guest's comedic abilities might take second place to are his incredible musical skills. What if I introduced the lead singer of Nickelback right now? That would be an unexpected moment in the night. His incredible musical skills. Reggie Watts grew up in Great Falls, Montana, then moved to Seattle where he played in various bands. Eventually, he started improvising songs and comedy pieces on stage during his shows, and an entirely new form of performance was born. These days, he's the band leader and announcer on The Late Late Show with James Corden. His new Netflix special, Spatial, is out now. Please welcome Reggie Watts to Livewire. Thank you. I was here in Lincoln Hall when you were sound checking, kind of getting your audio equipment ready. And it is, I've seen it a number of times live and on TV and things. And yet it is still totally incredible to me every time I see it. Can you kind of explain for radio listeners how you make this music and, and what kind of equipment you're working with here? Yeah, I, I, so I have a couple effects pedals. One does looping, um, which allows me to put down an idea and it just kind of keeps repeating and I can build on top of it. And so, uh, yeah, I started using that pedal back in like, I don't know, it was like when it came out, which I think was like 1998 or something like that. And I used to use it as a scratch pad to kind of like convey ideas to a band and be like, Oh, I was thinking about this jam and I would like loop it and then they would kind of learn it. And then I started doing shows by myself and figured I could just kind of back myself up. Um, <laughs> and, uh, I didn't need no band. No. No, boo, no. Bands are awesome. They're the best. Our house band is crying. Yeah, it's not You can't see it on the radio. <laughs> okay, so you realized at some point that you could create all this sort of variety of interesting sound. You fired yeah. your band so you could keep all the money. <laughs> You're right, right. And the rest, as they say, is history. Yep, that's it. Uh, that's how it works, guys. Just do that. When you're making a song, like you're going to, you're going to, do I call it a song? Sure. Okay. When you're making a song, uh -huh. uh, what's your plan going in? 
um, uh, you know, I just, I, I, I always say, I hope I start. Like that's, that's the first step. You yes. just got to start. <laughs> oh man, that's, those are words to inspire a generation. <laughs> Guys, just start. <laughs> Could, would you consider starting and, and, and playing us a song here? Sure. Why right. not? Why not? Okay, here we go. Hopefully you guys like this one. This one, I, a lot of people don't like it. But. Let's see here. song that you just performed about deep dish did it come to your mind because we're in chicago uh yeah we're you know we're in chi chi and i, I uh, uh and, and i was talking to master chef upstairs and uh i was talking about deep dish and he was like we don't really eat deep dish that much you know i mean like he was saying for himself personally which i just thought of like yeah sometimes there's like places that are known for things but people don't actually necessarily eat them they're kind of like more like an export right know, like idea. we're both we both spent a lot of time in Seattle, you and I. Yes. We've probably never thrown a fish to someone else. Nope. <laughs> never done that. Yeah. A lot of people assume that's that's a typical greeting, but yeah. <laughs> it's like here's some here's some cod. <laughs> when you're doing comedy on Conan O'Brien or your Netflix special, how much of a plan do you have for those things? I don't really have a plan for those things. Uh, Are you serious? Yeah, it's it's a terrible habit. 
I, I, you know, I'm kind of like the opposite. Like if someone is like, oh, okay, so let's, let's create a plan to do this and that. And I get all nervous about it. I get nervous that I'm going to forget it. So I focus on like the thing I'm supposed to do and it totally takes me out. So for me, it's easier to just kind of do the inverse, which is like, let's see what happens. I just have to be sure to actually do something, you know, to express something. You got to start it. You got to also continue it. Wow, you spent, you spent a lot of time thinking about this. Yeah, I really, you know, I love performing. Uh, no, no, but but, it, but it's, it's kind of true. It's like, it's easier. It's almost like things are just kind of coming into the pipeline. It's, it's a combination of things I talk about before I go on, uh, things that I've noticed before I go on, or I listen to, I always, always listen to NPR. So whatever city I go to, if I'm in a car, I tune it to the NPR station. So I'm listening to that. And also what's happening in the moment, what the audience is doing, the venue, everything. Because I know when, uh, particularly if you're going on one of the TV shows like, you know, Letterman or now Colbert or those kinds of things, you are supposed to have a really specific amount of time that you're going to fill, right? Mm -hmm. And don't they try to go over the jokes <laughs> with you that you're going to tell and they say, tell this one, it's funnier than this one. Yeah. I've seen you on those kinds of shows. There's no way those conversations happened, right? Uh, uh, no, no, not at all. No, not at all. I mean, I think, you know what it came down to? I think the first time I did a show like that was the Fallon show before it was the Tonight Show. Because I had some friends who were writing for the show. And so they kind of said, hey, you should have this guy, you should have this guy. And then I remember the producers calling me saying, like, could you send us a list of your jokes? I'm like, I don't really have any jokes. <laughs> and, and they're like, can you put something on tape? And I'm like, oh, I could, but it's not going to be the thing I'm going to do. Um, and eventually they were just like, well, I guess just show up. Uh, uh, you got away with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You were already my personal hero, and now you are more my personal <laughs> hero. So uh, I've been listening and watching a lot of your, your musical performances in particular, and I, I was thinking that you are sort of like the perfect person to write a cell phone ringtone. Have you ever tried anything like that? No, I've never done that. Do you think that you would be up for trying that here on the stage? You know, weirdly, this is the only show that I would do that on. Oh, Reggie. So here's what we were thinking. The city of Chicago has been so amazing to us during the time that we've been here. We wanted to try to give back. And so what I'm wondering is if there's anybody in the front row who would like to have Reggie oh, that was so casual. Did you see record how casual that was? a custom ringtone for them. All right. So, uh, sir, well, what's your name? Christoph. I, we need to hear what your actual ringtone is. So I need you to tell me your telephone number. Sh should I just punch it in myself? Just need you to slowly list the digits into the microphone. Okay. It's a eight, four, seven. All right. Okay, punch the last few in. Okay, I'm gonna hit send. These people are, they're clapping for personal privacy. <laughs> When it comes to Christoph's number. Okay, now you didn't have a chance to change this. So we're going to hear what you're rocking with in your real life when someone calls you on the phone. Okay. One of the default settings. <laughs> it's like a skeleton playing his own ribs. <laughs> it's, it's so ominous. You know, it sounds like something on Scooby-Doo is not going the way they're yep. hoping. Yep. Okay, so, uh, Reggie, do you have any questions you'd like to ask Christoph? Do you want to try to customize this? Sh sure, yeah. I guess I can ask the classic three questions when it comes to making ringtones. 
Are you a fan of inclement weather? Uh, depends on the mood. Okay, that's good. Good to know. Did you enjoy uh, the original movie Tron? I uh, actually never seen it. Okay. Oh no, that's good. If you had to buy a, a vehicle, would you buy a hydrogen fuel cell car, a pure electric car, a hybrid, or a gas car? A hybrid. Okay. Yeah, that's all I need. All right. Okay. <clears throat> Let's see. Let's see. Okay. So, uh, so something that something that you can hear that's clear. That's based off of the three questions you answered. Okay. Got it. Yep. Okay. Uh, Netflix special is spatial. This week's show is brought to you in part by Alaska Airlines, an airline with over 800 daily departures to over 100 cities, even to tropical un-Alaskan lands like Costa Rica and Hawaii. And with a name like Alaska, you know their air conditioning will be on point. <laughs> Alaska Airlines, fly nice. All right, this is Livewire Radio. We are coming to you from Chicago this week. Our theme is second to none. Because we think that accurately describes this city. We asked the crowd here at Lincoln Hall in Chicago, what makes Chicago the best? And, uh, and we've got some of those answers that they submitted. Dylan, who's here with us, uh, said, here's what makes Chicago the best. It's cold enough to keep the whiners away. Wow. I mean, that is a nice way to look at it. It's like one way is you have frostbite much of the year. Yeah. The other is it's a sort of barrier to keep whiners out. Yeah. Nick said the thing that makes Chicago the best is day drinking an old style at Wrigley during a Cubs game when you're supposed to be working. And uh, Cecilia said what makes Chicago the best? Friendly ass people, Chicago Blackhawks, Barack Obama. I think I saw that tattooed on someone's yeah. arm recently. This week's show is brought to you in part by New Belgium Brewing and their flagship beer, Fat Tire. It's brewed as tribute to their founder's first bike trip through Europe. But you don't need a bike to enjoy Fat Tire, just a mouth. More info at newbelgium.com. All right, this is Live Wire Radio. We are coming to you from Chicago this week. And if Chicago is known for one thing, it's processed meats. So many meats. But also the Cubs, okay? But I guess if there's a third thing that Chicago's known for, it's probably Oprah Gale Winfrey. That's right, 
Oprah was not actually born here in Chicago, but this is where she first really came into her own as a TV host. Oprah's career and impact is the subject of a fascinating new podcast series from WBEZ. It's called Making Oprah, and it follows Oprah's rise from not being able to book Don Johnson for the first episode of her new TV show to basically serving as a spirit guide to 90% of the American female population. Please welcome the host of Making Oprah, Jen White. Jen White, welcome to Livewire. Thank you. Thank you. This podcast, Making Oprah, is fascinating. How did you have the idea? You know, there were a few things happening all at once. This is the 30th anniversary of the show going national. Uh, a lot of people wouldn't remember that it's been off the air for five years now. But Harpo Studios, where the show was produced in its later years, was torn down this year to make way for a McDonald's headquarters. Um, I know, right? Um, and so it seemed like a really good time to revisit the history of the show within, within that framework. How, what has Oprah meant to you in your life? So I've been watching Oprah Winfrey since I was in middle school. I started watching her when I was about 12 years old. That when, that's when she went national. And I'm one of seven kids. And so when you grow up in a big family, you have to learn how to talk a lot to get any attention. And I was a talker. And so when that show came on, my mom would always say, you can do that. I think it was just like a way of deflecting me. She's like, watch the show, learn some skills, and then put that to work outside of our home. And so... <laughs> Growing up, she was the person I looked to as, as a model for what was possible for me. She was a black woman on television in the 80s, you know? And there, there was something about seeing a woman who looked like she could be my auntie. You know, she was just over. She's like, girl, my armpits are sweating and my, who, you know, she was just regular on the air and there was something really appealing about that. Yeah, one of the things that's so great about this podcast is that like I wouldn't have probably gone back and watched Oprah's first episode of her national TV show, but you guys play audio and it's incredible. She is so likable and real and like within the first 25 seconds she talks about her armpits being sweaty like it's so it's really fascinating just from sort of a media standpoint to get to find out about all this stuff um then there's the part of the of the podcast series where you actually get to interview oprah and before that the part where your producer tells you that you're going to get to interview oprah we actually have some of the tape from the Making Oprah podcast, this is Jen White. It starts with your producer, Colin, delivering the news to you that you guys are going to get to talk to Oprah. Uh, we have Oprah. Okay, my. <laughs> <laughs> are you serious? Yeah. I just spoke to her assistant, uh-huh. and Oprah can do this coming Monday <laughs> in L.A., so we're going to meet Oprah. Are you kidding me? <laughs> no. Oh so that's happening. Oh, my gosh. Yay. Oh. Colin. <laughs> okay, so uh, yeah, you I lost you, all my cool. It's you, just gone. This is an okay time to have zero chill yeah. when you're finding out you're going to get to meet one of your heroes. Okay, so you got to go to LA yeah. and interview Oprah. Just like, wow, what were you even thinking going into that? Oh my gosh. So, okay, as a journalist, you can't go into it like, 
I can't miss in Fred. It's just such a pleasure to meet you. You know, you have to be prepared. You have to have questions. But you, there's this thing in the back of your head like, I'm a professional, but my goodness, it's freaking Oprah Winfrey, you know? And then you also don't know who's going to show up. You don't know who's going to come in the door because is it going to be Oprah or is it going to be Oprah? So you, you, I kind of had to go in just with no expectations other than getting the story, like getting the questions answered that we went in with. And what happened was really interesting because I think we caught her at a time when she was really interested in talking about the show. We were told we had 30 minutes with her and she rarely gives interviews. And so Colin and I were like, okay, 30 minutes, here's the roadmap. Here's what we gotta get. Well, 45 minutes into it, she's still talking and her press person's like, you've got a red carpet event to get to. She's like, okay, yeah, I know. 15 minutes later, she, she looks and says, okay, I can see what you're doing, what you want to do, and this isn't going to be enough time. So set up with my people to, to set up another interview with us. So what started off as a 30-minute interview turned into over two hours of tape. I know. I know. And so... Is this why Gail King has been writing so many mean things on your Facebook page? He's <laughs> like, you're moving in on my turf. Hey, sorry, Gail. No, no, but really it was, it was going in, having goals about what we wanted to get, but not having expectations about who was going to show up. And then I think they just left us open to have a conversation. And uh, it was a really good one. Uh, we have Jen White here. She is the host of the WBEZ podcast, Making Oprah, which charts the, the rise of Oprah Winfrey. Why do you think Oprah resonates so much with people, in particular women in this country? She was herself. When people say, well, what was she like in real life? I'm like, she was just kind of, she was Oprah. Like, that's her. And bringing that kind of authenticity to television made women feel like, oh, I can just be me. I think the other part of it was seeing a woman in a position of power where she was running her own show, a predominantly female-run show. Her executive producers, the majority of the producers on the show were women. She built a media empire the woman has a magazine that she's on the cover of every month. Like there's something <laughs> kind of cool about that. And I think when women see it, they're like, hell yeah. Like, yeah. And a lot of the women, see, a lot of the women who I hear from are women like me who grew up watching her. And so she's been a part of our cultural identity for most of our lives. Yeah. Uh, we got to take a very short break. We have Jen White here. She's the host of the new WBEZ podcast, Making Oprah. We will be back with more Livewire Radio in just a moment. This is Livewire from PRI. Livewire is supported by Ergo Depot. That's right. Ergo Depot, based in Portland, they make all kinds of amazing pieces of furniture that will help you stay active as you are working, whether it's at your home or at your office. In fact, I use an Ergo Depot desk, the Jarvis, when I am recording live wire radio each and every week. Uh, you can set it at any height that works for you. It'll remember those different heights, so it's super convenient. If you have a job, and that job involves being at a computer for long stretches, don't just sit there in a chair slumped, letting your body turn into, um, well, something you never intended it to turn into. We use their stuff at the Livewire offices there on Mississippi Avenue in Portland, Oregon, and we can report firsthand that it is amazing stuff. If you would like to experience Ergo Depot for yourself, head into their store in Portland, or if you're somewhere else in the country, guess what? 
They've got a website. It's ErgoDepot.com. Go check them out. Welcome back to Live Wire Radio, coming to you this week from Chicago, Illinois. Our theme is second to none. We, we believe this city is, in fact, second to none. And uh, one of the people closely identified with this city is none other than Oprah. Uh, we have Jen White here from WBEZ Radio, uh, who is the host of this new three-part podcast, Making Oprah, uh, all about Oprah's career rise. In the early days, there was this really fascinating conversation that unfolded between her and this guy who was about to hire her, which is mentioned in your podcast, a very blunt conversation, where she says to him what? <laughs> He's offering her the job um, at WLS. This is before the show went national. It was just the morning show at that time. And he says, I want you. Like, you are the person for this job. And she says, well, I'm black and I'm overweight. She's like, are you sure? Right? And he says, well, I can see that. (laughs) And so am I. Overweight, that is. And a lot of other people are, too. And he also told her, I don't want you to change anything when you start the show. I don't want you to change your hair. I don't want you to lose a bunch of weight. I want you to come on exactly as you are. I think that might have been really important to how she approached her work for the rest of her career because she was allowed to be exactly who she was in that first really big opportunity here in Chicago. The timeline that I I wasn't really clear on until I listened to your podcast was that Oprah is at one point a local TV host here in Chicago. As a side project, she's also an Oscar-nominated actor in The Color Purple. Yeah. I can't even wrap my mind around that happening. Why do you think she stayed in TV after, like, her first foray into film acting goes about as well as that can possibly go? After that, she keeps on with the TV hosting stuff. There's an interview of her where she says, if I could be an actress for the rest of my life, that's what I would love to do. So she was already very much an actress in her mind, I think. But I think with The Color Purple, she was just at this place where there was this huge opportunity to take the show national. And do you say no to that on the possibility that you might get other acting jobs? Or do you say, I can do this for a while, and then if it doesn't work out, hell, I got an Oscar nomination. I can go back and act some more, you know? Wow, so you think it was a sort of practical decision, maybe? I do. And I think she was aware of the fact that This was a big opportunity as a black woman in the 80s to have a national talk show when Donahue was the guy. Why turn it down? What do you think the lasting impact of Oprah Winfrey will be? Well, I would say based on the responses I've gotten, and I've gotten responses as much from men as as I've gotten from women, which is interesting to me. I think one of the biggest impacts she's had is that she made it okay to have certain conversations in the public sphere uncomfortable conversations about race, about gender, about sexual identity. And it took a while for them to get to that place where they were having these highbrow conversations. But would we be talking about spirituality if Oprah hadn't taken the show in that direction? I don't think so. So I think she just opened the door to different conversations that weren't being had. And nobody else was able to really have those conversations in the same way. Because it's not like talk television ended with her. You know, you had everybody else, Maury Povich, Jerry Springer. Yeah, it might have been okay if it did. Right. (laughs) Considering some of the stuff that's come after. Right. Fair point. But, you know, she she elevated certain conversations in a way that I think nobody else was really able to do it. And people remember that. And let's not forget, she's still very present in popular culture. She has a television network. 
Her Shit. dogs yeah. are more famous than most people. Indeed. I like know things about her dogs that I don't know about people in my own family. Because she's Oprah, man. Yeah. She's it's Oprah. good to be Oprah. It's good to be Oprah, living her best life. That's right. And if you want to live your best life as a podcast listener, you've got to check out Jen White's new podcast, <laughs> Making Oprah, from WBEZ. Jen, thank you so much. This week's show is brought to you in part by Amtrak, offering a full-service dining car and scenic views while connecting travelers to more than 500 destinations across America. See where the train can take you. More information at Amtrak.com. Please welcome back the incredibly talented Reggie Watts to Livewire. <laughs> Here we go. Um, this is a song. Uh, uh, the holidays are coming up, and we've we have uh, all of them are, are are coming up throughout the year. Through the next three or sixty-five uh, days, we're gonna see a lot of almost all of the holidays. We're gonna we're gonna see them and feel them. So this one goes out to all the holidays. Uh, okay, here we go. <laughs> But people also say that Chicago is named the Windy City, but not for the reasons that you would think. Because politicians back in the day used to go on and on and on and on, and they used to call them windbags, and that's really where the name came from. But I don't know. Whatever you believe, it still is pretty windy here. Because the L train in New York is really underground. Oh, yeah, but you gotta put yourself in the mindset of the people who were designing transportation. They wanted trains to occupy the same amount of space that traffic occupies. Ooh, yeah. 
I guess you have a new city song, Chicago. Yep. You're welcome, everybody. All right. That is it for our show. We want to tell you who helped make it possible. First of all, our amazing guests, Rick Bayless, Reggie Watts, and Jen White. Livewire is brought to you in part by Whole Foods Market, Alaska Airlines, New Belgium, Ergo Depot, and Amtrak. Thanks this show to Heidi Goldfein and Mary Kathleen Julian and all of the fine folks at WBEZ, John LeClaire and everybody at Lincoln Hall, plus Matt Rusins and the team from React. Robin Tenenbaum is the executive producer and co-creator of Livewire. Laura Hatton is our producer and editor. Jason Rouse is our announcer and wrote for this week's show. Our house band is Jonathan Newsom and A. Walker Spring. Molly Pettit is our technical director. Chris Julin did our in-house sound. Michael Pickett recorded the show and Jason Powers mixed it. Thanks to Revival Drumshot and Carlson Audio. Our development director is Kim Bergstrom. Our operations manager is Lauren Masterson. Laura Harden is our marketing manager. Additional funding provided by the James F. and Marion L. Miller Foundation. Livewire is made possible by its members. For more information, go to livewireradio.org. My name's Luke Burbank. Thanks for listening. See you next week. PRI, Public Radio International. Dear Livewire, when we first met, I was really shy. I had no idea we'd spend so much time together or that you'd be one to fill my heart with with joy and make me want to be a better person. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know you were here. I was busy reading a review from one of our many, many rapturously smitten listeners. Oh, wait, actually, no, sorry. This is from Elena. Anyway, the point is, uh, it would be really helpful if you wanted to leave us a review Feel free to say really nice things about us, and uh, we'll even read them now and then on the show. So you might hear your review of Livewire read on the program itself. Uh, reviews help other people hear about the show, and then we can keep doing this for a long, long time, because we love having this job. 
Uh, Thank you so much. If you've left a review and if you're about to leave a review, you can go ahead and do it right where you get the podcast. 